Chapter 20, verse 20, we left off in verse 19 last time. Verse 20 says, Whoso curseth his father or mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Boy, it sounds serious. It is. You go all the way back to Exodus chapter 21, and there in verse 17 it says, He that curseth his his father or his mother. Yeah, let me stop there a minute because, you know, years and years ago, there, there, there's a lot of people had the idea that, you know, you knew you couldn't get by with it with your dad, but it was kind of okay with mom. You know, if you could bluff your way through it with her or whatever. Well, let me tell you, God puts a premium on respecting both of your parents. He that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now, we all realize that we're not, <laughs> we're not living under that law today, right? I mean, we understand that, so we don't take the law in our hands. We don't do something like that. But back in those days, uh, that's what the law was. And, and, and by the way, we look back uh, on that and we wonder why in the world would God be be so strict, and no doubt the unbelievers of our day would use this, you know, against us and be critical of the Bible and the God of the Bible, and how could a God of love do something like that? But it, 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 that's not a reflection on God. That's a reflection on their ignorance. They don't know God. They don't understand what God was doing. They don't know the Bible. And here's what we've got to remember. Back during the Old Testament... This is a time, you might say, unlike any other, that God is bringing from the loins of Abraham a nation into existence. And the purity of that nation was absolutely essential to God's purpose. And that's why God refused to tolerate uh, certain things. And, and, and so he gave these laws. And, and by the way, these laws are principles. The moral principles of these laws exist forever. They're just as valid today as they were back when the law was given. The moral principle of it. But the penalty attached to it is different today than it was back then. Because keep in mind that it was originally given to the nation of Israel and the purpose behind it is that God is, is building a, a, a spiritually mature and pure people. That, that's what he's working toward. As I said, uh, I believe it was on Sunday to where he can so bless the nation that she's like a queen decked out in all of her glorious array and the other nations of the earth will look at Israel and ultimately praise the God of Israel. Sin distorts that purpose. And because of that, God has to deal with it. Let me put it another way. Let me make it more personal. You know, God's standard of right and wrong is exactly the same for all of us. But by virtue of our position or our responsibility, even though we all are to live by the same standard, God is certainly more strict sometimes with those that are in authority. I Think about David, for example. Whenever David committed that horrible sin, I should say those horrible sins, because he didn't just commit one, you know. You remember, 
committed adultery, then turned around and had had her husband put to death. And David did something absolutely terrible. Well, God forgave him, but ultimately we know that the child died. But listen, the point is that God did not allow David to get by with things that others got by with. When I say got by, I mean the punishment was not so severe for them as it was for David. And it's almost like God saying to David, I'm going to make an example out of you, buddy. You're the guy that I put in charge of these people. You're the one that they look to for an example. You're the one that is in a, an authority figure over them. I expect more out of you than that. So I'm saying all of that to say this. When we look back at this original law, that God had a good purpose for attaching the death penalty to those that cursed their parents. So so even though we're not living under that law, this shows how serious this matter is. And the point is that the person who dishonors their parents displeases the Lord. And let me tell you, that's always serious. Regardless of the nature of the sin, anything that is displeasing to God is serious business. And, and, and you know, although other people can't legally you know, take your life for for doing this, God can, God can. And, and over in Ephesians in chapter number 6, and uh, I want to turn there and read it. Some of you might not even be familiar with this, but you should be. Ephesians chapter number 6, there's a very important statement here in the first three verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the... Now, get this now. This is the first commandment. Now, it wasn't the first commandment, really, was it? But it's the first commandment with promise. The first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, notice that he gives them the promise here, the promise of of longevity and the promise of prosperity if they respect their parents. And I'm telling you, listen, that's the New Testament. That's for today. And God takes it serious whenever children uh, not just disobey, but when they dishonor their parents. And some way or another, we need to instill that within them, that they'll learn to respect mom and dad. Verse number 21 an inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. I've often referred to this generation as the give me generation. I, I really, I think we'll have to change that. You know, we've gone from the greatest generation, uh, wouldn't Tom Brokaw, you know, the greatest generation wrote the book about it. We've gone from the greatest generation to the gimme generation. Well, uh, we, we, now we've entered into the godless generation. And, and I'm not referring to all of the young people, by the way. You know that. But I'm talking about our generation as a whole and so forth. But, uh, uh, boy, if ever there was a time we needed to pay close attention to this verse, it's now. And I don't think anything illustrates this better than the story of the prodigal son. 
and I'm sure that you realize the story, the, the story of the prodigal son is actually the story of man, fallen man. That, that story of that, that boy and his daddy is a picture, a boy representing mankind and the father representing God. And, and, and it simply shows that boy walking away from his father. Now remember, he said, give me that which is mine. Give me my inheritance. And in other words, I don't want to wait until you're dead, Daddy, before I get it. I want it right now. I've got plans for it. You know, it's mine. And so he insisted. And really, the, the amazing thing about the story is God said, well, okay. You know, I, I've often thought whenever he said, you know, give me what's coming to me, that he should have backhanded him or something. But, you know, God's different than I am, a whole lot different. And, and he gave it to him. So, you know, some people wonder, go back to the Garden of Eden, they wonder, well, why did God ever let, why did he let Adam and Eve sin? Why didn't he make us where we couldn't sin? Well, if he did that, you'd never know anything about God's love, for one thing. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that can be said about that. But the point is, this young man wanted what was coming to him in his mind. It's mine, and I, I, I want it now. I don't want to wait. Well, he, he, he got it. The Father gave it to him. You, you better be careful what you pray. You might get it. A lot of times we ask God to give us this and give us that. Lord, if you expect me to serve you, you're going to have to meet, you know, my expectations and so forth. And we've got to be careful about that. Well, he said, I want it. And so the father said, all right, I'm going to give it to you. Well, he went right out and spent it all, every bit of it, in riotous living. It's not like he invested it in some Ponzi scheme, you know, it was in riotous living. He's he's a party boy. He's living it up. I mean, eat, drink, and be merry. That was his mantra. I mean, just go out and party hardy. And uh, and finally, it's all gone. He has absolutely nothing left, and uh, ends up, of course, in the pig pen. Well, uh, you know the, that that's the idea here. The inheritance that has gotten hastily. He hadn't thought this through. Daddy's not even dead and he wants the money now. Wow. But the end, and this is the point now, the end thereof shall not be blessed. You know, there's a sense naturally that this can be applied to those that make haste to be rich. And the Bible tells us to seek not to be rich, but some people do. I had a, actually it was a youth worker. We had uh, the most amazing youth choir. By youth choir, I'm talking about teenagers that, that I've ever seen. Uh, in fact, they we they came down to Texas and sang down in a missions conference all the way from Cincinnati all the way down here. They went to Washington and, and different places. and I, They were unbelievable. And we had a young man that, and I know this is going out, and we've probably got people in the Cincinnati area that's listening. I just learned we got people in Pennsylvania watching this broadcast every week in the services. Uh, but uh, I'll never forget Ronnie making the statement to me. He was really involved. I won't name the, the company, one of, the, one of these companies that 
you know, people get involved in, and they, if you get in on the ground floor, you can make a lot of money. I'll never forget him telling me, you know, but he wanted to be a millionaire by the time he was 30 years old, and that was his goal. Uh, well, it didn't quite work out that way. Let me tell you something about that. Most people that set out, you know, to, to whether it's to gain great riches or, or whether they set out like the prodigal son to live it up, it's my life, I'm going to live it. And they never take into consideration the end, and it's usually not a pretty picture. It's usually something horrible and terrible. You know, we, we need to think about the end a, a lot more than we do. Uh, what was the beer commercial several years ago? The, the, the finished product or the finest product of the brewer's art. We don't, you don't name it. I'm, you know, I'm not giving them a commercial, but I think that was the, their, their motto, the finest product of the brewer's art. And uh, somebody suggested they need to change that to the finished product, you know. And that, that's why people don't take into consideration the end. And that's what he's saying. But in the end, it shall not be blessed. And mark it down, when we walk away from God and determine to do our own thing, make our own rules, live our own way, without any consideration for what God wants there's going to be a bad ending. And one of the most heartbreaking things about being a, being a parent or being a pastor is that so many times I can see it unfolding before my very eyes. I, 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 I can see them walking down that path. I, I, you, you know, sometimes you know the day that they walk away. They drop out of church and so forth and go their own way. And uh, it's just a matter of time till they hit rock bottom. And it doesn't have to be that way. God wants something better than that for us. And uh, we need to consider the end. Verse 22, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Now, that word save, of course, means deliver. So he's not speaking there about our spiritual salvation. He's speaking about our deliverance in the situation that we're in. But, but notice he says, say not that you'll recompense, that is you'll pay back evil for evil. Now, it's only natural that we want to strike back when we've been wronged, right? That, that's something in us. It's our old fallen nature that you know, somebody reaches out and slaps you, and, and I mean, it's instinctively. Before you even think about it, you're, you're hitting them back. But it's wrong. It's wrong for us to retaliate like that. And so what happens is whenever we, when we are struck and we strike back, now, look, I'm not talking about the matter at times that you have to defend your life or defend your family. I understand that. But there's so many times there'll be some offense against us. Somebody will say something or do something. They will neglect us, abuse us. In, in some way, they will offend us. And it's just human nature for us to think to ourselves, I'm going to pay them back. They're going to pay for that. I'm going to see to it. They're, they're going to be sorry they ever messed with me. And what happens is, whatever they are, 
And they can be totally in the wrong, but whatever they are, that's what we become. When we strike back, when we when we do what they did, all of a sudden, keep in mind, here we are trying to punish them, as it were, because they're wrong, and we end up doing exactly the same thing. I mean, that's a, that's a lose-lose proposition, you see. A vengeful spirit never, never does anyone any good. All it does is to make matters worse. It brings more trouble. And, and as Christians, as Paul said, we are to overcome evil with good. If we return evil for evil, we don't gain anything. And I, I love the way he put it here in Romans chapter number 12. And of course, he's talking about those that would offend us. And he said, you know, instead of getting back at them, he said, you, we, we are to overcome evil with good. And in so doing, you're heaping coals of fire upon their head. And by the way, that, I don't think that means that you're just, you're going to hurt them all the more. Uh, uh, the, the idea back then was in those days that it was a common thing for people literally to go out and to borrow some live coals from their neighbor uh, for their fire and what have you, and they'd carry it in a in a vessel and on their head. That that might be what they're talking about, but what whatever whatever it illustrates really doesn't matter because the point is the same. We are to overcome the evil with the good. The good is our weapon against evil. Never gain anything by just uh, doing what others did to us. Now, verse 23, divers' weights are... Well, wow, here we go again. We Well, we've heard this already several times. Do you reckon maybe it's because we need to hear it because dishonesty... Is so prevalent in our society today. Divers' weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. So we, you know, we don't need to sit and talk about this a long time because everybody understands it. You don't know, need to know the meaning of the of the Hebrew words that's translated into the English. You don't know what Doctor So and So need to know what Doctor So and So said about it. It's as clear as the nose on your face what he's saying there, and we've considered it over and over again. But but it does serve to remind us that this is just one of those problems. That, that we in our human nature that we tend to, to deal with over and over again in our life. And so many times as, maybe as a young Christian even, we think, all right, well, we got the world with the tail on a downhill swing and everything's going fine. I've figured out how to do this. I'm a really a giant Christian. I've got my act together and all of a sudden there'll be some, something come along that will, some temptation that will knock us off of our feet. Let me explain it this way. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of people that wouldn't dream of stealing uh, $10. I could throw $10 down there on that floor and it would lay there and finally somebody would sit and pick it up and say, anybody lose $10? Well, if you put a $100 bill down there, now it's that that's getting a little more dicey then, Right? There might be some say, hey, somebody dropped a $100 bill down here and uh, somebody else might think, I need that. And you, you get the picture. It's, it's easy to resist a, a, 
stealing a dollar, but boy, if you could steal a million and knew you could get by with it, knew you couldn't get caught, that's a whole different ball game. So that's precisely why we need these reminders over and over again, because this is going to be a constant problem throughout our throughout our life, even though we're saved. There's always going to be that temptation to do wrong. Verse 24, man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? Now, here is a good example as to why it's important for us to study God's Word instead of just read God's Word. Now, every Christian needs to read the Bible. I, I believe you ought to read the Bible every day. I believe you ought to do more than that. I believe that you ought to memorize certain parts of the Bible. I believe you ought to do more than that. You ought to read it. You ought to memorize certain portions of it. You ought to meditate on the Bible. There's so many times I remember as a young Christian and uh, uh, and I got into this thing of reading through my Bible in a year and to read so many verses this day or so many chapters. And and I, I did that, in fact, for several years, read through my Bible uh, every year. But I, I got to notice, and there'll be sometimes, you know, and maybe maybe you're a little tired or you're busy, you got stuff you got to do, and after a while, man, you're just flying through the pages. You're not any more paying attention than a man in the moon, you don't get anything out of it. When you read your Bible, slow down and meditate on what you're reading. Beyond that, however, we need to study our Bible. And that, that's a whole lot different than just reading your Bible. And, uh, you know, um, even though what I just read here makes perfectly good sense in the English in which our Bible is, we can get some additional insight with just a, a little bit of effort. I mean, every single person can uh, can get a concordance or a Bible dictionary, and you can learn something about these different words. And, 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 and for example, this first word, man's, notice the first word of the the verse, man's goings, that comes from a Hebrew word, geber, that implies a mighty man. Now notice here in the second clause where he uses the word man, that's an entirely different word. That's the word Adam. That's the word there that signified uh, a human creature, just an ordinary man. Now, whenever we look at it like that, we see that it gives us some, I think, additional insight as to what this verse is all about. Man's, not just the ordinary average man, but rather here the the mighty man, the man that is in a, a position of authority and high esteem, the educated man, you know, the kind of man everybody looks up to, you know, man's goings are of the Lord, well, how can a, just a plain old ordinary man, old Farmer Jones out here, how can he then understand his own way? You see, the point is, if that college grad, that prince of some nation or whatever, if he can't understand all of these things, how can the average man, ordinary man, expect to be able to 
And the whole point of it is that if the steps of a great man depends upon the Lord rather than his own brilliance, his own strength, his own ability, how can a mere creature understand his way? It's a verse in Jeremiah chapter 10 that I refer to often, verse number 23. It says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. That, that is a picture of the powerlessness of man. It's God telling us that, that in and of ourselves, we don't know how we ought to live. In and of ourselves, even, even if we make our plans, we're not able to carry out those plans. And we need to come face to face with that fact that, that of ourselves we're not able. Remember in Proverbs 16, verse 25, he said, There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. They, you, you know, that's the route most people take. They take the route that seems right, but it's wrong. And it ends up uh, as a very costly thing. Now, here's the great thing. And notice again, he says, man's goings of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? Man's goings are of the Lord. In other words, God is actively involved. I don't care how much he plans and works and schemes or whatever else he does. His goings are of the Lord. In other words, the point is that God is the one who determines what the end result's going to be. It's not what we do. I, I, you know, I can study and I can pray and I can get up here and I can preach on Sunday morning, but it's God that's going to determine whether anything of value happens as a result of I can't make anything happen. I one of the silliest things in the world. Believe me, I've tried and just about every preacher has tried. And after you've tried a while and you've learned that you can't and you need to depend on God and you watch other preachers, you know, trying to make something happen, boy, oh, they resort to every kind of scheme in the world, the psychological Crowd psychology, you know, trying to move people emotionally and, you know, get them to do something that they, you know, they don't even want to do. And it's absolutely, totally meaningless. So it depends on the Lord. Our goings are of the Lord. Think about when Rebecca came to, uh, to the well and Abraham's servant was there. Do you think that just happened? Well, I don't. I think God had it all planned out. She had no idea when she went there that day that Abraham's servant was going to be there. I think about when Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river that day. She didn't have any idea she was going to go down there and find a baby. Are you kidding me? She wasn't looking for babies. She went down there to bathe at the river and found a baby. But listen, it didn't just happen. When she got up, every step she took down there to the river's side, God was directing her ways in all of that, you see. Her goings were of the Lord, even though she didn't know anything about it. Now, maybe you're thinking, yeah, but brother, so, oh, that all seems so mysterious. Exactly. Now you're getting the picture. It is mysterious. It shows us that God is working 
behind the scenes. I think about Daniel, for example, and Daniel said to King Nebuchadnezzar, now get this, he said concerning God, Daniel said that the Lord removeth kings and setteth up kings. Now you, by the same token, you can say God sets up presidents and moves presidents, removes them, I mean. Right? I don't know, do you, you believe that? Well, that's what it says. He, he said to old King Nebuchadnezzar, God can take you out anytime he wants to, buddy. God put you there, God can take you out. We, we lose sight of that sometimes. We, in our mind, we determine everything. Now, now, don't misunderstand. That's not to say that we're not involved in all of this because we certainly are. But God has a way of turning the tables on us and, and things don't turn out the way that we thought they were going to. The amazing thing about this story is not just that Daniel made that statement, but God proved that it was true. And you remember Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. He's like a, he was like a beast of the field out there. He, sleeping out in the field of this king with all of his riches. And he's out in the field. He's eating grass like an ox. And the, the dew would fall on him. I mean, he's lost his mind. His dignity has been stripped from him. And he's lost his mind. And, and consequently, he basically, in, in Daniel chapter 4, said the same thing Daniel did. He confessed that the God of the Jews is the only true and the living God, and he is the one that controls this earth. Now, go back to our text, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? The answer is he can't. He can't. If our goings are of the Lord, we cannot understand our own way. And uh, so what do you do in a case like that? Well, you've really, you've only got one viable option, only only one logical path to take, and that's trust God. You know, you, you, our goings are the Lord, man. How can we understand our way? We just need to trust God. We need to believe He's in control. We need to depend on Him instead of our own reasoning and and trust Him. Now, you, you see, in doing that, it takes a lot of pressure off of us. Don't you agree? Because we, I'm telling you what, and I think the same thing's true of you. We could all worry ourselves into a tither about the uh, about the election. You know, I, I keep thinking about how important it is. I think I've even written something about maybe the most important of, of all time in America. You know, I don't know, but there's a lot hinging on this on this election. I understand that. We can get ourselves all worked up, and, you know, it makes you wonder, what are we going to do if it didn't turn out the way we want to turn out? You know, you need to think about that. What what are we going to do? How are we going to cope? You know what? i tell you what we're going to do. We're going to keep right on trusting God just like we did before, 
And we're going to keep right on doing what we've been doing, which is try to win people to Jesus Christ and baptize them and get them in the church and teach them and train them and help them on their way, you know, to glory. That, that, that's, that's what we need to be doing. And, uh, we might not, we might not understand God letting some terrible tragedy like that happen, you know, the other party winning and, well, go, if she wins, we're going to take away her guns and do this and going to do that and everything. Well, uh, as a nation, as a nation, we, we're going to end up getting what we deserve. And, uh, I don't know how else to say it. But, but we've got, we've got to understand that our goings are of the Lord. I, was it Franklin? I can't remember which one of the forefathers talking about that God rules in the affairs of man. Said if a sparrow, if a sparrow cannot fall but what he sees it, you know, uh, basically saying that we have no reason to, uh, to fret about what's going on. Why? Because God rules in the affairs of man. Thank God we serve a God that's that powerful. And I could add, not only just that powerful, He's perfectly good at the same time. He's not going to make any mistakes with any of it. Thank you so much for being here tonight. And Lord willing, we'll pick up in verse 25 and we'll finish. I promise that uh, Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We'll finish this chapter next week. So that's the plan. Remember, the goings are of the Lord. So uh, we'll see if he lets it work out that way. Let's all stand together. We're going to be dismissed by prayer and Pray for our Awana kiddos tonight as they hear the Word of God that uh, who knows that some of them might be saved. So uh, let's pray together. Brother Terry Metter, would you word our prayer, please, sir? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and share your Word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to provide us in the days, Father, that we can plan. Lord, we just pray that you would be merciful, Lord, that you Father, we pray that you would be worthy of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.